Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. figured out who the neighbor around the corner is. Oh, yeah? I like him a lot. He lets me talk as much as I want, is very simple, and has great plans. Okay, I have to meet him. Sure. Say hi. This is Metro PCS. Metro PCS is in your neighborhood. Come say hi and get unlimited data, talk, and text for only $30, period. All on the fast nationwide 4G LTE T-Mobile network. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. One gigabyte of high-speed data included. See store for details, terms, and conditions of data management info. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. You know, today we're really glad to have a very unusual entrepreneur on the program. He's an American who uh, moved full-time to Mozambique five years ago and now runs the, the Sunshine Nut Company. We, w- we want to welcome uh, Donald Larson uh, to the program. Uh, Don, I don't know if you're aware, but Don Larson pitched the only perfect game in history. I'm sure somebody's told you that in their time. And I was fortunate enough um, to have been there that day. So every time I oh, see your wow. name, I, uh, yeah, yes, there's a long story about that. But anyway, Don, welcome to the program. And It's great to be here, Don. Thank you for inviting me. <clears throat> Well, I'll tell you, um, we saw you at the Fancy Food Show in, in July. Uh, well, no, I guess it's June. I always, it used to be in July, and now it's in June. And uh, it, you're such an unusual story. Uh, I'm going to start by asking you the usual question I do of all our guests. Tell us a little bit about your, your personal background before we get into anything else. So fire all away. Right. Okay, personal background, um, I graduated from Penn State University with a degree in industrial engineering and a minor in robotics and automation. Uh, went to RCA New Products Division for two years, then went to Kunzler Meets where I was director of engineering in my 20s um, and spent five years there. And then I went to Hershey Foods. Um, it was Hershey Foods Corporation back then, Hershey Chocolate and uh, spent 13 years there climbing the corporate ladder. I, uh, I was pr- principally used as a turnaround guy, um, but I was getting new positions each year to, to turn around helpless, or, or I would say very, very broken systems um, in procurement, uh, engineering, manufacturing, IT, um, 
even commodities. Um, so my last job was director of op cocoa operations, where I bought all the cocoa for Hershey's. Um, and that got me into uh, New York and uh, to the commodities pits. And believe it or not, when I would come into the commodities pits, all the New Yorkers would have baseballs for me to sign. So I knew <laughs> that there were a lot of uh, Yankees fans in that uh, commodities pit like yourself. It's wonderful to hear that you were there actually that day. No relationship to me, but um, I, uh, uh, it's a very impressive feat that the guy did. Um, I came back, uh, I actually went into Africa to assess the cocoa crops in order to develop the strategy for on the market. And that sight of this incredible poverty really changed my life. So as I got back to Hershey, I actually, in about six months after I returned from that trip, I quit and I, I uh, took a position building the largest cocoa processing factory in the world down in the port, port area of Philadelphia, the Cocoa Port area of Philadelphia. Uh, got it start, started up and running uh, in two years for a group of foreign investors. Uh, was had ma matched the flavor profile for uh, companies and was shipping uh, upwards of $50, $60 million of product a year to uh, those companies. And the investors sold it out from under with me without knowing it to the largest chocolate maker in the world out of Switzerland. I then had a, a chance to say, what is it that I really want to do? And there was a spiritual journey involved with that that took, uh, it, was, it was quite a, a long journey, about two years of, of having uh, some depth and some fun. Uh, but that resulted in me developing uh, an initiative called the Sunshine Approach, which is uh, using world-class food products to bring people out of poverty in third world nations. Wow. So that's pretty much my background. Wow, that's very impressive. The, well, now, obviously, the next question, how did you end up in Mozambique and in, in Nuts? Yeah, well, I initially did some consulting in Tanzania, and that was um, largely because I had a friend over there. So I went over and I consulted with them, and really their problems of having half the crops rot in the field uh, they wanted to develop a market to go into uh, Europe with fresh produce. And I advised against that and said, you know, a simple conversion from from shelves, from perishable, uh, you know, your crops into shelf-stable, whether it be through canning or, or packaging or, or dehydration um, or processing, um, would, would not only allow you to feed your people when there was times of scarcity, but also would allow them to employ them here, and you could sell it into the industrial market, you know, because most companies, the big giants, uh, take in, you know, dehydrated onion, uh, processed tomato, dehydrated garlic, you know. So there's all types of possibilities. They, they did, were too scared to do that, so I said, well, I'll do it on my own. And before I got into things like chocolate or spaghetti sauce or even the components of that, which would be, you know, the, the liquid cocoa that I had done for, for the chocolate companies or dehydrated onion or garlic or, or processed tomato, I decided to pick something that I was familiar with since I had managed a, a chocolate factory up in Nova Scotia for Hershey that did box chocolates. In the center of that factory of, 
of extreme complexity, all the disciplines of chocolate making, was a nut roasting facility. And that was probably the easiest of the operations. So I chose to get into nuts and cashews. And really, Mozambique is right underneath Tanzania. It's ideally suited for what I'm trying to do. In, in the 70s, they were number one in cashew processing, their largest supplier of the world. And then um, a civil war for 15 years and a, uh, some, world, some bank policies uh, really decimated the industry. So it's now lower than that, but it has the means to want to get back to being a, a, a star in, uh, in cashews. So I decided to go there and develop uh, uh, a value chain um, solution that would not just bring a, a finished product to, to sub-Saharan Africa, which would go into the, the world's finest retailers, but it would employ people all throughout the value chain, not only at the roasting facility, which now we have 50 employees at our roasting factory that are, most of them are, were abandoned or orphaned in their youth, so I've raised them into positions of leadership. But then we have 1,000 people up uh, in north that are shelling the cashews. And since most of the farmers are smallholder farmers with three to five trees on their, on their land, we have about 50,000 farming families that are supplying our, our, the needs for our factory. So, so that's kind of how we got into cashews. Well, fascinating. But now, yeah, the name of your company is Sunshine Nut Company. But what products do you um, source from uh, um, Mozambique? Yeah, so we're just uh, we just entered the U.S. market probably about 18 months ago, a little more than that, and uh, we're in 2,000 stores in the U.S. You know, all the big guys, we've got Giant, Stop and Shop, Ajo, uh, Martins, Wegmans, Whole Foods, Raley's. Uh, we're getting into some more recently. I have some, some other, uh, some other um, trips next week. But we're limited to cashews right now because Mozambique, the, the one product that they have, and the only nut product really, aside from a little bit of macadamia, is, is cashews. So we've got a long way to go in cashews before we bridge out into uh, other items, I think. So you primarily, but do you also, uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you sell, do you also sell to big combines uh, on a bulk basis? Uh, what we do is we have four flavors of our cashews. So we have plain and salted, but then I developed an herb blend and a spiced blend that we offer as well. So we've got all four of those in a 200-gram package. But then our, our larger customers have been asking for bulk. So normally you get bulk in 25-pound um, sacks. We chose to go with a 10-pound sack that, is, uh, that has a foil bag because one of the things that we, we bring is freshness of the product. We get the product shelled right down the road. It goes right into the package, and that is a competitive advantage for us. Well, I wanted to bring that same co competitive advantage into the bulk uh, offering. So we have a very fresh bulk offering. The fact that it's in 10 pounds, when they fill a, a canister in the, in the store, um, they're moving that product quicker, and so it, it remains fresher. And that's... Uh, well, how do you how do you trans? This point, you first. 
Go ahead, Don. You were about to say? Don? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, what, uh, you first. What were you about to say? Well, did you say, how do I transfer that? Uh, you get cut off. Well, right yeah. well that was going to be a question, yes. Okay. How do you get it well, from Mozambique to the U.S.? Okay, and that's where my industrial engineering degree is in. You know, I was, I really turned around a lot of things at Hershey, brought a lot of innovation, and, and what I look to do is cut out unnecessary costs. Uh, we've done that with our logistics. We haven't done that with our labor and our operations because our whole goal is really to, um, to employ people, okay? So our logistics, mm -hmm. what we do, we bring it right out of the uh, Maputo port, on ships, and we've negotiated rates with the uh, with the cargo companies, and we bring it right into the Baltimore port, is our port of entry, and from there it goes into breaking bulk, into a warehouse that's close by, and then we bring it into the ES3 facility in York, which is a fully automatic robotic-armed um, distribution system. So we've been lucky to, to get proper partnerships with people who are really excelling in certain, in certain competencies. And, and ES3 is part of, it, it's a sister company to CNS Distributor, which is the largest distributor in the U.S., which we also, we are dealing with all five major distributors. Um, the, the three prominent ones are CNS, um, UNFI and Kihi. Hmm. Well, it's really fascinating. You've been there five years. Uh, are you still an American citizen, or have you become a Mo Mozambique citizen? No, I will always be an American citizen. Uh, um, you know, my wife and I moved uh, with our youngest son William uh, to Mozambique five years ago. We left two children, Cassie and Brent, continuing in school. And uh, they have uh, since become very, very excited about what we're doing, and they're uh, they're helping in different ways. Um, but uh, you know, it was, it was tough to to split up the family. Uh, we we didn't know anyone in Mozambique. We came in, we renovated a facility, um, and then we we went to a, a local orphanage that had a lot of adults that had had come out of the orphanage, just kind of hanging around. There's really no no employment in Mozambique. There's no opportunity, no hope. So one of our goals was to employ young men and women who had come out of children's centers. And uh, right now, all of them, you know, we, we've got uh, seven promotions we've done, one into production manager, a young man named Benario, who, um, who uh, grew up on the streets. His father uh, died. His mother abandoned him. Now he's, uh, he's doing really well as a production manager. And a whole host of other incredible stories. One of the things that the company does is it, while it does employment and, and takes care of the value chain, we also then give back 90% of our profits of the company back into um, what we call hand-up uh, projects. Um, basically, we're looking at the farming communities, and we have a very active program for orphan care since 10% of the population of Mozambique are orphaned. And uh, mm -hmm. so we, we, ma we match up, uh, you know, my wife is uh, Director of Social Impact for Sunshine Nut Company. She 
is actively involved in all kinds of initiatives, uh, bringing we we purchase homes and then we we pair up uh, widows with orphans and make family units and put them into the the homes. We actually put the homes in the children's names, so you know it's really uh, an uplifting experience for them. And we then we oversee to make sure that the care is good and that the kids are are thriving in those environments. But, uh, well, you know, I covered Africa for um, many years, and I, I, I know the conditions there, and what you're doing sounds terrific. But how do you deal, um, African governments are not like our governments, but how do you deal with them, and what, what advice would you give uh, someone who's even contemplating something like you're doing? Yeah, I think the key, you know, what one of the things that we went in were actually, you know, I, I had a very successful career, and I had a lot of job offers when I decided to do this uh, with very good companies, but I wanted to do something to help people. So one of the premises is really while we're there to make money, we're giving all that money back. So within the value chain, doing the right thing is the most important thing, and so you know, you hear all the stories about corruption, exploitation, you know, and we hit some of those, and what we needed was patience, okay? And we have not given in to that. The Mozambican government has actually been very wonderful. And uh, early on, the first trip, I met the ex-foreign minister of Mozambique, and uh, he has been very good at, at telling us kind of how to operate and, and how to be successful in Mozambique. And, you know, one of the great things about our business model, which I call the Sunshine of Boach, it's a, it's a quadruple bottom line business model uh, where, you know, the, the triple bottom line of, of an financial, environmental, and social, we have added a fourth objective of transformational. And our aim is to transform all around us into a, in a better environment. And when you're giving, when you're creating a market and you're putting a, a product in the world's finest retailers of a, of a very important crop for Mozambique, and then you're giving 90% of the profits back into uh, farming community niches. We have medical teams. We have uh, dentist teams. We have teacher teams. We've had Penn State University there. Um, and students from Northwestern University doing projects in the villages that are truly transformational. So when you have all those things, the cooperation of the government goes way up because they feel that we are not coming to exploit and take money out of, of the raw materials uh, of their country. So, so, so far, the, uh, the, the uh, conditions have been very good. Now, we're planning on taking this to other African countries, and I've been speaking uh, and being part of the World Economic Forum for Africa for the last four years. I actually pay my way to the different forums, and uh, I have other countries just desiring to want to be, to want to bring uh, what I call my factory in a box, because everything I need comes in a 40-foot container to run the factory. So they're looking for me to expand into other countries. So. We'll see. As this continues to go, it, it takes uh, every every ounce of negotiations that I learned as being uh, director of global sourcing for Hershey, uh, and uh, it's been fun. Uh, I enjoy that type of challenge. Hmm. Well, um, where where were you born and raised? 
Uh, well, I was born in Chicago. My father worked for R. Donnelly Printing. Uh, he was sent to run a factory in Old Saber, Connecticut. So I was six years old when we moved to Old Saber, right on the right on the ocean, uh, on the Long Island Sound. I lived there till 13. From there, we went to the the printing companies uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, among the Amish communities. So from 13 on until college, I, I lived in Lancaster. My my family is still in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh, just curious. You you you, know, you seem to have a world uh, vision that that's different than any, than any we've uh, uh, had on this program in a long time. Um, if someone wanted to talk to you more or find out more, how can they do it? Yeah, uh, probably the best way is to come through our website, um, uh, sunshinenuts.com, and info at sunshinenuts.com is the email address. That's probably the best way they can get in touch with me. Uh, getting a well, lot, of, you know, I've been do I've been doing a lot of different talks. Um, the the European Economic Summit I spoke at for two years. I was just at the Nobel Peace Prize Forum in Milwaukee where I spoke on a couple panels. Um, the, uh, I was actually invited by Mars executives to the first annual Responsible Business Forum at the Syed Business School in Oxford, uh, at Oxford University. That was just a few months ago, and that has led to a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of different uh, openings. But I'm, I'm always excited to share what we're doing, and there's a lot out there. There's just a Forbes article that came out. If someone just Googles Sunshine Nut Company or Don Larson, I've done two TED, TEDx talks. So there's a lot out there to learn more about what we're doing just through uh, the Internet and the, and the web. Well, truly, Don, uh, you're one of the uh, greatest guests we've had on this program, and we really wish you... Good luck on your uh, endeavors. And when the next time you come in the States, we'd love to have you back on the program. That would be great. Yeah, it's, it's always a, you know, the, the amount of different things. You know, we had just about everything the American dream could, could uh, have. You know, I had a Porsche. I had a hot air balloon for 20 years, a large house with a pool. I have wonderful kids, a beautiful wife, all these things. You know, it's just like I, I found great. It was the American dream, but I was very unfulfilled. And and it was a point in my life that I'm like, I really want to do something that matters. And so we chose this. We sold off everything. We headed to Mozambique. We live among the poor. We have very modest lifestyle, and I couldn't be happier. The amount of just the, the ability to transform people's lives and give them hope and opportunity has really been incredible. So I encourage everyone to think about what they're doing, and, and if they're not very satisfied, there are ways to become satisfied. Well, really, thank you, Don, for, uh, as I say, a really great interview and restoring our uh, faith. And, uh, uh, you know, people complain about business, but I often think businessmen people do more for each other than, than they're ever given credit for. I, I agree with that, Don. There's so much potential within business, and that's what I've learned over the years. And so, you know, we're looking to to put that power into the into good use. So, I appreciate you having me on the program. Well, we, no, we appreciate you, uh, Don. Thank you, 
and and have have a good rest of the vacation, and and good luck in the future. Thank you very much, Don. You take care. Have, have a good day. All right. Bye bye. While we're waiting for our next guest to appear, look out uh, in the street uh, there. You know what you don't see? My car. Because I had to sell it to pay the lawyer I hired when I got busted for drunk driving. You know what else you don't see? My girlfriend, who decided that a guy with no car and no license and no money was no fun. And hey, you know what else you don't see? You don't see me leaving for work in the morning. Because I missed so much time with court and everything that I got fired. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Files is not cable. We're wired differently, which means you can get the fastest Internet available with equal upload and download speeds from 50 to 500 megs. So you can upload 200 photos before your favorite song is finished. Click the ad and switch to Files today to get our best offer ever. While we're waiting for our next guest to appear, he's due any minute, I'd like to tell you uh, some exciting news about our newest book, Recalculating. 97 plus experts on driving small business growth. It just appeared. Uh, it's already uh, selling like gangbusters, much to our pleasant uh, anticipation. In it, people like J.D. Powers, Marcus Luminous, and John Scully tell how, uh, how small business managers can drive the growth of their company. It's a 334-page book. It's available on Amazon and on Barnes and & Noble. And, and we feel it's jam-packed with the information you need to grow your small business. Remember, recalculating 97-plus experts on driving your small business is now available. We look forward to, to you uh, purchasing it and telling us what you like about it and also what you don't like, because we're already preparing the second edition of what we think will be one of the better books uh, in the field. Uh, thank you. And here's our next guest. Bob, Nima Twist. Bob? Good morning. This is Bob. Yeah, Bob Nemec. Nemec. Thank you. Of Twist. Of Twist Think. A Twish. Of Twist Think. Twist Think. Okay. Yep. He, he talks about um, something that uh, I've long known uh, to be happening. But before we do, Bob, can you tell us a little bit about yourself personally, so we always know a little bit about you? Well, personally, I'm uh, an engineer by training in undergrad and uh, uh, got graduate studies completed in uh, business from the University of Michigan. I reside in the business, Twist Think, resides in Holland, Michigan. So we're on the other, quote-unquote, West Coast. And uh, for the last, uh, oh, 30-some years, I've been uh, deep in the space of innovation, uh, innovation within uh, large organizations, 
and now have a professional service named Twistthink that's 16 years old, helping companies uh, stay in the domain of innovation. Well, you're on this program because you had an interesting survey and some interesting thoughts on innovation. And the topic you gave me, which really caught my interest about, they talk a good game, but don't put the money behind it. And and from now on, the floor is yours. Tell us as much as as you want to about it and how you want to. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to connect. I think um, the report that uh, we completed earlier uh, this year in Q1 really highlights what I've seen for over the last three years, and that is that uh, companies desire to be innovative. They desire to bring new products and new services to their customers. They desire to inspire their customers, but the space of innovation is really hard work, and it requires leadership at the C-suite level and then all the way through the organization to take and have a long-term perspective. And because it's hard and because it requires long-term perspective in our day within organizations large and small where the treadmill is running uh, at high speeds, things are happening quickly, technology is even changing quickly, that notion for engaging in the hard work and the long-term perspective is uh, many times set aside. And... uh, I would argue that uh, long-term, that isn't a great business strategy. And so uh, our practice and our commitment as a firm is to run alongside of and help companies that truly desire to either continue in the space of innovation or break out of commodity uh, products and services and get into the space of innovation and we're uniquely uh, gifted to doing that in that our team has uh, a great process built on human-centered design principles and we have great depth in terms of technology and technology understanding and helping uh, almost like an experienced mountain guide helping our clients discern which path they should pursue uh, as they seek to uh, bring new goods and new services to their constituents, to their customers. So that's what we do as an organization, and we've been doing it uh, across the country and even uh, across the globe in terms of clients that we're helping in this space. I think right now, Don, there's a trend, a mega trend that's impacting uh, every business that uh, you serve through this podcast, and that trend is oh, referred to as Internet of Things or Big Data or the digital domain. And so we are uniquely uh, experienced and 
uh, gifted in helping clients uh, move into the digital space and do it in a way that's appropriate for their business and their client base. But the theme of innovation, again, it's hard. The process of innovation, as our survey highlighted, uh, many organizations in the survey would express a desire to be innovative, but they also express that internally their own confidence in a process that uh, delivers uh, innovative products and services is uh, very elusive. And so here we are, uh, like a trained Olympic athlete, we've been engaged in this space of innovation for many years. And we have a process that's uh, kind of proven itself to deliver results. And so um, we get it that it's hard. And we, we agree it is hard work. But we also have a process that we believe uh, delivers appropriate results. And we have a kind of a confidence in risk and failure, which, again, our survey highlighted that um, the the C-suite stu- struggles a bit with risk. And I think our culture today doesn't necessarily uh, view failure Uh, perhaps in the way that it should when you're working on innovative solutions. So we have the appropriate uh, perspective and balance as it relates to risk and failure. And then certainly all of this is built on the need for a vision. There's got to be a long-term perspective and thinking that is applied to a company's portfolio and product and business strategies. So we as a strategic innovation firm really help in all four of those key areas. And we do it in a way that um, uh, our clients uh, are able to run along with us and in a sense learn as we go and uh, grow as we uh, try and help them maintain a presence in the innovation space. That was a well, long you, Well, that's okay. The more you speak, the better the show. Okay. So I hope you're going to be able to cut and edit and string some of that together in a presentable way. Oh, oh uh, unfortunately, since this is live, we tried not to. Be, but I, I found it very... Very, um, very helpful. But I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, having been, uh, when, when I was in the corporate world of uh, various organizations, I was in many ways uh, uh, brought in as a change agent. I did that for a number of years for a major publishing company. Um, uh-huh. And they, uh, um, what I found is they were more, the senior managers were more concerned with the short term than the long term. And that, uh, yeah. and also that they were kind of entrenched with their their own thinking, um, and they also yeah. had a not in a not invented here uh, yeah. approach. Well, yep, I, you know, I I see it I see it every day, Don, and have for many years. And again, you know, the theme of innovation uh, demands a bit of a long-term mindset. So you need to find and equip leaders 
that can embrace that and get comfortable with that. And certainly we know that both public and private companies, the pressures of the economy and the pressures to report out on quarterly earnings, many times drive C-suite leaders into short-term thinking rather than taking the bold stand and trying to look out more than a quarter to one year or year two or year three. So that, 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 that married with the, the whole issue of failure. And, you know, if we're all honest with ourselves, we don't promote failure, trying things and learning from those experiments, from those prototypes, from those uh, customer engagements. We don't promote that enough. We have a culture that simply... Uh, is focused on wins and uh, really uh, abhors uh, failures in any way, athletically, academically, and certainly business-wise. And I think for innovation to really thrive, the C-suite has to create uh, an environment that's controlled but also encourages, yeah, let's go try that. And let's see what we can learn. What does the market say if we integrate this technology into our portfolio? And uh, pulling the customer into it earlier is a key part of uh, the human-centered design process. Our firm uh, is hardwired to delivering and looking at problems through the three lenses of technical feasibility, business viability, and usability, uh, desirability. And that third lens that I just referred to is many times overlooked or uh, minimized within an organization. Our point of view is that that's where it starts and ends. You have to have uh, products and services that really display a connection to the heart, the heart of the customer. And when you focus that way and you make that a priority uh, from the top all the way down, I think the results in terms of being able to have and commercialize innovative solutions, the, the, the hit rate goes up exponentially. So we're trying to help companies look long-term. We're trying to help companies uh, through our process and giving them hope. There is hope that uh, any company can break into the space of innovation, but it requires uh, commitment and hard work and all those things that, uh, in a sense, make us sweat, but they're worth sweating over. The results, the bottom line resu results when, when a company leans into that consistently are there. And there's plenty of companies that can be benchmarked that would uh, indicate that. The reality is, and our survey confirmed, that most companies uh, merely pay lip service to innovation and don't have the heart commitment to sticking with it consistently day after day, week after week, and beyond. Uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, I find that companies uh, uh, don't have the time commitment. They, they don't allow uh, innovation to work through, give it enough time to work. They demand instant results. Um, 
and um, also, I'm, I'm going to ask you a loaded question. Uh, uh, I noticed in, in my, uh, and I've been around uh, almost almost as long as you have, um, that uh, it, it, when new things open up, it's usually um, the women employees um, are are set to examine it and to. Uh, in effect, be the pioneers, and then when the, when the uh, the new things start to work, men take over. Have you seen that, um, or do, would you like to avoid that question? <laughs> That's a loaded question, and I think the way we've tried to create our team and serving our clients is making sure that we have a balanced perspective across functional teams not only in skills, though our team is built on really talented industrial design uh, trained and capable and human-centered design process experienced folks sitting in a collaborative space with really capable and really deep experience-wise technology minds. Those are, you know, electronic engineers of, of great experience and depth and uh, kind of the, exper the experiment behind TwistThink when we launched in 2001 was pulling those very different skills into one collaborative space and having them learn each other's language, learn each other and appreciate each other's process, and then assigning that team to go solve really hard uh, problems in the, in the domain of innovation. And certainly we've learned and we know that uh, a key makeup of that team is to have both talented men but also talented women uh, comprised and a part of that process because together they strengthen each other and they uh, minimize blind spots that, let's face it, we as men um, – could be blockheads too <laughs> and have shown ourselves to be blockheads too. And that's where you'd say having a, a colleague on the team that um, is an experienced technology mind or design mind that is a female helps balance the approach and the thinking. And again, when our point of view is built on usability and desirability, which is really talking about connecting with people's hearts, Having uh, women as part of that process is is priceless. I I agree with you. I'm I'm just uh, uh, following up on uh, someone we had on the program uh, uh, recently, um, who, who was uh, very strong on that point, uh, and, yeah. and really woke uh, woke me up to the possibilities. Um, are you? Um, are you also finding that the the pioneers of the of the internet, the people in the, that started in the '90s in the early part of this century, um, uh, have now become uh, quote the old, old men of the um, uh, of the industry and seem to be um, uh, lagging behind in innovation in terms of the the new big data and other factors? Well, sure. I think, I think everyone is struggling uh, in the domain of digital or Internet of Things. Many companies 
both product companies and service companies, makers, are struggling with um, how do we make money uh, by deploying a Internet of Things uh, product and system? And that's a, that's a, that's a great question for uh, the C-suite and an organization to be wrestling with. It's appropriate, and it's, and it's a good question. Um, coupled with that, our survey indicated that many in the C-suite don't engage in technology because of the pace at which technology is uh, moving, and that pace is perhaps at a cadence different than what they've traditionally seen in their business. And my argument to that is uh, you've got to engage and you've got to learn how to appropriately apply the cadence of technology to your business. And whether you're a bank or whether you're making um, furniture, the need for evaluating how uh, data and um, technology can change the products that you're making or the services that you're delivering, um, it's, it's paramount. And the companies that, uh, in a sense, get into that and remain committed to that are going to win. Just like the companies that in the 90s uh, got into the Internet and remained committed to it, uh, many of them are companies we're reading about uh, or have read about in Fast Company and uh, Business Week. And uh, again, back to the digital domain that um, is hitting uh, every industry, um, there's great opportunity there. So companies that innovate and have confidence in their process and commitment to their process, they're going to win. And they're going to win a big time. We're seeing it. We're serving many of them today, but uh, certainly... Um, our survey would indicate there's still a lot of companies uh, on the sidelines uh, looking in on the field activity rather than getting into the activity themselves. We're talking with Bob Nemick. He's president of TwistThink. And he's, we're talking about innovation, how some, uh, some executives talk a good game but don't put the money behind it. Uh, he's giving us a, a really interesting perspective. Um, I, I guess my uh, final question would be, if you had to tell a small business leader, uh, and our audience is made up uh, of primarily uh, presidents and or owners, what, what are the three things you would tell them to focus on to make sure that they're innovating, innovating as well as um, uh, dri driving the growth of their company? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, certainly, I, I had many years in uh, the corporate environment and have now, for the last 16, had the benefit of launching two businesses uh, in the small business domain. So I totally resonate with your hearers who are connected to um, a small enterprise and are working uh, hard to grow that small enterprise. Many of the themes that we've discussed that perhaps have a C-suite uh, bend to them are uh, certainly uh, appropriate and applicable to a small business. So recognition that it's hard, but 
you still got to have a long-term plan. Um, there's going to be failure, but failure is okay. Learn from the failure. I would say, uh, you know, again, leaning into uh, human-centered design and the priority of usability and desirability, that applies to any business, large or small. And reaching our customers in a way that really, with a product or with a service that speaks to hospitality. I know there's companies in your mind, Don, and your listeners' minds right now that we all land on quite naturally as good examples where just the way the product is presented and unpacked out of its uh, package after you brought it home really speaks to the, 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 the impact that usability and desirability can have uh, on a business and on businesses that are committed to serving their customers in that way. And then really the, the last point would be um, you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to embrace the quote-unquote, I wouldn't embrace the non-invented here syndrome that many times takes deep root in uh, a corporation and leaning on uh, fresh-eyes perspective to help you in this domain is is a good business strategy. But every business has to be wrestling with growth. Without growth, you die. And without innovation, uh, you're not going to have uh, long-term success. It's that black and white. Wonderful, wonderful uh, advice. Bob, if the people want to talk to you or, or your company, how do they do it? Well, you can go, you know, the traditional mean today of, hey, I'm going to Google twist think, one T in the middle. So it's T-W-I-S-T-H-I-N-K, all one word. That'll get you to our website. That'll get you to a contact. That'll get you to my, uh, my name, my email address, my phone number. And, uh, again, I'm speaking to you representing a team of over 30 that are uh, truly uh, uh, great professionals, in the domain of serving our clients and delivering innovative solutions. And, you know, I could spend another hour showing any one of your listeners our portfolio of work, what we're doing and what we've done to help them uh, fully uh, understand our capabilities as a team. Well, I, uh, based on, on the few minutes we've had with him, I encourage all, any of our audience to contact Bob and talk. I know uh, I'm thinking I may even contact him myself and, and learn some uh, more. But again, Bob Nemec, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, and I want you to come back in the new year when we put together our New Year's program to talk further. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture.